0: the end of this life, those who are wicked, those who have rejected God, will burn eternally in hell. I will tell you that that is not a popular topic. In fact, there are many preachers who have chosen, for one reason or another, not to address the subject of hell. I do know that it's not the kind of lesson that As you exit the building, you say, boy, I love that lesson. Not the one we want to hear. It's not the message that warms the heart. It's not the message that soothes the soul. Skeptics have long denied the existence of hell. But the truth is, now we actually have members of the Lord's church and some who preach the gospel who are beginning to say, well, maybe it's not going to be a conscious, eternal punishment of the wicked. Those of us who believe God's word must be willing to answer those who would ask of us. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, Peter says... But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, being always ready to give an answer to or defense to everyone who asks the reason of hope that is in you, yet with meekness and fear. Do so recognizing that you yourself will also answer to the God of heaven. For a few minutes, here's what I would like for us to discuss. I'd like for us to look at the righteousness of God. Is it righteous for God to take the wicked man, consign him to a place of punishment, conscious punishment, for all eternity? There are some people who said no. We're going to see what the Bible says. Number two, we want to talk about reserved for punishment. Does God have a place? Does God have plans in mind to punish the wicked? We shall see. Number three, we want to talk about revealed in Scripture. How does the Bible picture for us this place that is called hell? There are some word pictures that are used that need our attention and need to be understood. Let's begin with the righteousness of God. Here is the thought process of those people who say that God can't punish people eternally. How can God, who wants everyone to be ultimately saved, end up punishing the majority endlessly? I know you're aware of 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. It says God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want one soul to go to hell. Not one. When you start thinking about the righteousness and the goodness of God, God wants us all to be saved. Brother Winfred Claiborne gave me a book several years ago before he passed. The title of that book was called Love Wins, written by Rob Bell. Brother Claiborne was greatly disturbed by this book, and he says, I'm afraid this book is going to appeal to a number of people <laughs> And here's what Mr. Bayle wrote in that book. Have billions of people been created only to spend eternity in conscious punishment and torment? Suffering infinitely for finite sins they committed in the few years they spent on earth. His idea is, is that God cannot be righteous and punish a man for A few sins he may have committed over a few years eternally. This is very much like Cain. Do you remember when God pronounced a punishment on Cain for killing his brother Abel? In Genesis 4 verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. God, you have been too harsh with me. The demands have been too great for me. In some people's ideas, when you start talking about hell, that is too great of a punishment for God to inflict upon anyone. They would argue that some limited punishment may be okay. And we'll reference Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. And the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For to everyone much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. They would say, you see, you can only be beaten with a limited number of stripes. Let me tell you the problem with this. This places you and this places me in a position of evaluating and judging God for His will and His plans. What that does, that says, God, I know that you ought to only punish man for this long, for this reason. But do you realize what Scripture says? Romans 9 and verse twenty. But indeed, old man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Are you and I in a position to go before God and say, We know what things deserve. I want you to explore that idea with me for just a few minutes. In Job chapter 38 and verse 4, God asked Job the question. After Job had speculated about all the suffering that he had endured during a short period of time on this earth, he said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Job had to put his hand over his mouth and say, God, I talked when I didn't know what I was talking about. Job had to admit there's so much of God's realm that he did not and does not and will not understand. Which makes me ask the question, how many of us know how much punishment any sin deserves? And someone says, what do you mean by that? You just consider one sin, how many people that one sin. Let's say, for instance, here's a father who was once faithful to his wife, faithful father to his children. He was faithful to the Lord in serving the church. All of a sudden, now he decides he wants to be unfaithful. He leaves his wife, and now he has put his children in a situation of harm. Not only does he affect himself, he affects his wife, he affects his children. But then again, if he departs from the Lord, that may also infect the grandchildren and their children after them. And now no longer has one just sacrificed his own soul, but he sacrificed the soul of his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and maybe a whole tribe of people. Oh, you see, sin sometimes goes much further than we anticipate. It often affects many people. We do know that some sins deserve even greater punishment. We do know that God has revealed to us that some things are so heinous that they deserve even greater scrutiny. Let me give you a couple of examples In the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verses 28 and 29 he talks about after we sin willfully there remains no more as a sacrifice for sin but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness of fire. Then he gets to verse 28 and he says anyone who rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now listen carefully to verse 29 of how much worse punishment Do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? If you and I turn our backs onto the Lord so badly that we, as the Hebrew writer says, crucify the Son of God afresh, we put him to an open shame, How much punishment should that deserve? And looking at those who would speak God's message, specifically those who would preach and those who would teach. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. King James, greater condemnation. Those who preach and teach, must beware because not only will they affect themselves, but they affect those who hear them and the impact that goes along with that. Ultimately, this ends with denying hell altogether. It ends with a person saying, well, there really won't be a place called hell. I'm going to give you two quotes. I've debated about using these, but I think you need to hear what's being said. The first one comes from a man who's extremely popular in the religious world today. His name's N.T. Wright. He's a denominationalist, but here's what he said about hell. The word hell has a checkered career. In the New Testament, Gehenna, the term translated as hell, is the smoldering rubbish dump outside the southwest corner of Jerusalem. To be sure, it has other bigger resonances but when Jesus talks about being condemned to Gehenna, the first thing it means is if you Jerusalemites don't come the way of peace, your entire city is going to be transformed into a large-scale extension of your own smoldering rubbish dump. That is the very sharp edge warning of the gospel. Now listen carefully what he says. Hell is actually something that happens on earth when people don't follow God's way of peace. You see what they do, they say, I can't believe in God punishing people eternally. And so now you have to find a place for it. And so what you say is, is that really now hell's just the difficulty you go through on earth. The second quotation comes from a member of the Lord's Church here in Warren County. Posted on the internet. A little longer than this quotation, but I think you need to hear it. He writes, I don't believe in hell, at least in the sense that most Christians I've known mean when they refer to hell. The word Gehenna is usually the word translated hell. It actually has a reference to the Valley of Hinnom outside Jerusalem with its sordid history involving human sacrifice by fire, which serves as an image for the fate of the lost. The Bible never says anyone will suffer eternally, yet I've heard that very thing taught countless times by people whose knowledge of the word I esteem highly. It is a concept that pervades art and literature throughout the Christian history from Dante's Inferno to Milton's Paradise Lost to Edward's Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I am not sure where the idea of eternal suffering of the lost originated, but as far as I can tell, it is little more than a man-made fantasy. The Bible does not ever say there will be eternal suffering for the lost. Period. It doesn't say it. There's only one way or there's only one way that there will be eternal suffering is to believe something that the Bible does not say. I've tried to provide for you. The fact that there's some people say there's not going to be a hell to deny the existence of hell is to deny the righteousness of God. Will God righteously, justly, inflict punishment on the wicked? If He doesn't, then is God being just? Is He being righteous? Is He being fair? In Romans 3, 5, and 6, Paul said, Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? He said, I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how would God judge the world? Is it unrighteous for God to punish the wicked? No, it's not unrighteous. And Paul says, if he couldn't do that, he couldn't judge the world. Ezekiel presents this idea that the Jews had developed. That God just really wasn't fair. He wasn't righteous with us. In Ezekiel 18, verses 25 through 29, and I'm just going to have to summarize this because of time. They said, the way of the Lord is not fair. God's response to them, he says, isn't it really the case that it's my way that's fair and your ways that's not unfair or that is unfair? God says, I give the man who is righteous an opportunity to... To continue to be righteous, I give the man who's wicked an opportunity to repent. And God goes back and says, It's your ways that's not fair. God is being fair to us. God has set forth before us the choices that we have, and we can choose life or we can choose death. Now, secondly, I want to talk about reserved for punishment. Heaven and hell are reserved for those who will be there. Just like when we study John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. In 2 Peter 2, verse 4, we read, For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them to the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Verse 9, he said, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 2 Peter 3, 7, But the heavens and the earth, which now are preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. And Jude verse 6, Jude verse 13 says exactly the same thing that Peter wrote. The Bible talks about some destined for torment. In Matthew 8 and verse 29, and suddenly they're cried saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come to, now listen carefully, torment us before the time." When will that torment come? There's a time set aside for it, a time reserved for it. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But now I want to take you to the clearest passages in Scripture that I know of. These are the verses that ought to make the person say, maybe I missed it. Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Now listen carefully. Underline it if you wish. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You can't change those last words when he says tormented, day and night, forever and ever. You can't change those. And someone says, well, that's the devil, that's the angels. That's not those who lived here on earth. Folks, go further with me to chapter 21 and verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone which is the second death. You see, he's talking about those who live on earth in the same place where the devil and his angels would be. Now for just a few minutes, I want to take some time to talk about how this is revealed in Scripture. When we talk about eternity, we recognize we're talking about a different realm, a spiritual realm as opposed to a physical one. We've discussed in the past, First Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says in verse 15, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you, a mystery We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. What's Paul talking about? This physical realm is going to disappear. There will be a spiritual realm, and that's the way heaven will be. Well, how will I describe heaven? How will I describe hell? If these places are not physical places in the sense of this creation, I have to do that like I describe God. You see, God, according to John 4 verse 24, God is spirit, and Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And yet, when we speak of God, we speak in human terms. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear, ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Does God have a physical hand that looks like this? Does God have a literal ear that looks like this? No, God's spirit. That's the nature of God. But you have to represent the way God listens to man. You have to represent the way God does things. And so you put it in human language. There's actually a term from that. It's called anthropomorphism. which simply means human characteristics placed upon God. Well, how would I describe heaven? A street of gold, a sea of glass, gates made of pearl. Oh, beautiful place. How will you describe hell? Well, there's some very graphic word pictures in the Bible. The first one is Gehenna. It's a word translated hell. Literally means the valley of Hinnom. Well, why did God choose that term to describe this place? Well, let me take you to the Old Testament. I think you'll, you'll understand why. Second Kings twenty three ten, and that he defiled Tophet in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, so that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech. Let me tell you, as has already been represented. Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, was a garbage dump. And it burned. But that wasn't just all it was. That's a place where idolatrous practices took place. The worship of the god Molech. False religion. That's a good reason to, to attach to that because of the false religion. Let me take you to... Jeremiah 7, verses 30 through 32. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command them, nor did it come to my heart. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no longer be called... Tophet or the valley of the sons of Hinnom but the valley of slaughter for they will bury in Tophet until there is no room let me tell you what that's a good reason to call hell Gehenna it's a place where burning took place of bodies it's a place of slaughter it's a place where people will suffer associated with the false religion And then the Bible uses the term fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone. I don't know how many of you have ever been burned. I've been burned several times. Once very severely when I was a child. Hot stove pipe. I want you to listen carefully to the words of Scripture and the comparison that takes place. Revelation 19.20, the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in the presence which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast, listen carefully, alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. You know what that recalls? The destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those two cities, because of their sinfulness, God brought them to an end. Someone says, yeah, see, He just burned them up and they existed no more. No, that's not what Scripture says. Jesus said, in the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah than for the city of Capernaum. Oh, you mean those people? They still exist, yeah. Or else there wouldn't be a way for it to be more tolerable for them. Following along with that idea of fire and brimstone is the lake of fire and brimstone. Revelation 20 verses 14 and 15 and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I've got to imagine that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah which were right next to the Dead Sea that as that fire and brimstone fell it lit that sea on fire as well. You can't get into the water to find any sort of satisfaction. It's death. And if your name's not written in the book of life, that's what your future holds. Matthew 25, 30, as well as 2 Peter 2, verse 17, he says, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Second Peter two seventeen. They are these are wells without water, carried about by clouds, uh, carried about by a tempest. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? You see, now no longer am I just thinking about the fire. I'm thinking about solitude, by myself. In darkness. You you turn in any direction and there's nothing to see. You think about the abandonment of that for eternity. That's the reason why, as we began our study this morning, we began with Luke chapter twelve, verse five. And Jesus had said, You don't worry about the man who's just able to kill your body. He said, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear Him who, after He has killed, has the power to cast into hell. I say to you, fear Him. Fear God. Will man get what he deserves? Will God punish man eternally, consciously in hell? The Bible says so. But God has provided for us the information For us to choose our destiny. I've already pointed out to you. 1 Timothy 2 4 says. God would have all men to be saved. And come to a knowledge of the truth. You remember what Jesus said in John 8 verse 32. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Here's reality for you. Every one of us has sinned. Romans 3, verse 23. Every one of us deserve to burn in that place called hell eternally. Romans 6, verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. He offers to say your sins can be forgiven. And that no longer would you have to deserve that. He said my son took the punishment for you. There's an offer. You're not a Christian. Here's the offer. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to suffer eternally. God wants you to be saved. What do I do? You believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son. Acts 16 verse 30. You repent of your sins. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Acts 3 verse 19. You be willing to stand up and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And then be baptized. That is to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Acts 2, verse 38. Acts 22, verse 16. And we could study many other passages. Those who gladly received his word were baptized and there were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Saved from their sins, saved from torment. God provides mercy and grace to those who obey him. And we're going to sing this song, number 67. Bring Christ your broken life, soul marred by sin. He will create anew, make whole again. I've tried to put all the passion I could into preaching a sermon that reaches your hearts and your souls. If you need to respond to the Lord, would you come while we stand and sing?